to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology. And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels. Okay, today we have an exceptionally special guest. We have Dr. Courtney Cogburn, and this is such an exciting thing for me, like, from knowing Courtney from grad school, I never thought that our paths would overlap since we had such different research areas. Yeah. She's from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and she's currently an associate professor of social work at Columbia University School of Social Work. So her education, she received her bachelor's in psychology from University of Virginia, her master's of social work from the University of Michigan, and her PhD, she was in the CPEP, or the Combined Program in Education and Psychology at the University of Michigan, that's where I met her. And she also has trained at Harvard in various capacities there. So currently, her research uses technology to characterize and measure racism and evaluate its effects on mental and physical health. So she is the lead creator of 1000 Cut Journey, which is an immersive virtual reality racism experience that was developed in collaboration with the Virtual Human Interaction Lab at Stanford University. And it actually premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2018. And it was featured at the New Orleans and the Los Angeles Film Festivals. Fancy. Fancy, she's so fancy. <laughs> oh my gosh, when I first got my, my Tribeca badge, I was so, I was so <laughs> special. <laughs> So special. So she's an excellent keynote. Um, we had the uh, opportunity to see her at a conference before the vid, and I was just blown away by the work, and we were like, we have to have her on the show. So here we are. Uh, she's well-funded to do all of this research, lots of big names, fund what she does, and we're happy to have Thank you. So you. welcome, Courtney. Thank you both. I'm so excited to be here. Dope podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I was telling Jeremy before we started that I had to give a Courtney story. I don't oh know if no! You what this is or that? Not. She said, "Oh no! <laughs> oh, this is gonna be it's good." It's not an embarrassing okay, story. Okay, I'm sure I just... have them. <laughs> so my like first, I remember like substantial interaction with you at Michigan. Um, it was, I, I believe, like we were doing this volunteer thing in Detroit. And we had to like rent a van or something and go to Detroit and like tutor these kids or do something. I forget it was Hurricane happened, Katrina. People had yes. been displaced. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And people had been displaced and they were staying at like one of the hotels mm -hmm. that was downtown. And so we had gone and like volunteered and we're about to go back. And Courtney's like, you want to see Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
detour. <laughs> so she takes, she gives us this tour because it's like me and some other like first years who we hadn't really like explored. It's like our first year there at Michigan. And she's like, this is Southern Fires. This is the cool restaurant. This is this. And she's giving us this whole tour. I'm like, I really like this Courtney because, so you know, she could have just drove us all right back on home. But I just remember you kidnapping the van <laughs> <laughs> for the social activity to be like, or for the volunteer activity to be like, hey, who wants to see Detroit? That's so. so, I remember that now. Um, yeah, I think this probably feeds into the podcast. I don't follow rules. So, hey, it works. <laughs> I knew it was part of some theme. It is definitely part of some theme. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, so cool to hear. I, I didn't remember that until you told the story. Yeah. Man, that's always my picturesque. Courtney is not following the rules. She is just going to take the van and say, you know what? I'm gone. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so doing everything that you're doing right now, uh, when you were growing up, did you have any idea that this would be your path? No, of course not. I, you know, um, <laughs> I don't even, you know, when I was a kid, I, I would say I wanted to be a chef, a pediatrician, and a flower shop owner. Like, all three at the same time. What? I know. So, <laughs> random. But again, that maybe that's a personality thing. Like, you know, a little eccentric and happen. just doing my own thing. Um, I definitely can see chef and flower situation chef and flower. being a good yeah. Mary of mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Not pediatrician, sure about the pediatrician. I don't know. Have a little, yeah, little clinic. <laughs> inner spare time. Little clinic on the side with the flower shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I hadn't planned on this. Um, I do think at some point in high school, I started to think about a PhD specifically in psychology. Um, but, but prior to that, I don't think I really had any idea. So what like pushed you into uh, psychology? You know, I think the typical psych psych major story. I like people. I like the people watch, you know, human behavior (laughs) type of thing. Um, But I did, you know, start to notice some really interesting dynamics among my friends that I think made me interested in development. So uh, I had a few uh, close guy friends, for instance, and noticing changing dynamics with their fathers. Um, And... Uh, you know, the same with my friendship groups, like in shifts and dynamics. And I think all of that was just really interesting, interesting to me. Why is that happening? What's contributing to these to these developments? Um, And I didn't really have language to to talk about that or describe it, but I noticed it. um, And it was interesting to me. And so um, I think that was my first kind of um, kind of push into this. And I also had a moment um, in high school literally like stopped in the hallway and said to myself out loud, who am I? Wow. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like, who are you? Uh, I was on this like popular kid stick, you know, and playing mm-hmm. into all of that. And I just had this like a little bit of, you know, early existential crisis. Like who am I? So identity was important. Um, mm. What was shaping who I am again? Like what's changing these dynamics? So all of that, I think, you know, was noticeable to me and interesting to me uh, beginning in high school. Interesting. Yeah. So you said that you in high school said, I want to get a PhD. <laughs> how did you even like, did you know someone who had a PhD or graduate degree or like, how was that even on your radar? Yeah. My brother has a PhD. He's uh he's oh, 12 nice. years older than I am. My mom was ABD. Um, and so I was familiar with the degree. I was familiar with that path. I didn't really understand it. Like, what do you do with that? What does that mean? I think I just, you know, 
I've heard of this thing. That sounds cool. Right. I'll, like I'll you've do been that. in school a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my brother has a PhD in political science. I've seen him like do research and go, you know, travel all over and do these interesting things. And so he was definitely a point of reference for me for the degree. Um, but uh, I don't think I really understood what to do with it at the time that I said I want a PhD in psychology. That just seemed like the best and the highest thing you could get. And I wanted to do that. You were like, I'm going to get the gold medal. Like whatever the gold yeah, whatever the gold is, I'll do that. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the clarity around that, um, you know, there's probably, you know, instinct, right? There's some internal sense of this is a good way for me to go. But um, the, the details and specifics and the exact form of that certainly just took shape over over the years. And it's still taking shape. So did you grow up in Oklahoma? I did. Or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just no, asking. I grew up in Oklahoma City. My family, I don't know if y'all know, Oklahoma has a lot of all black towns. Um, yeah, yeah. And so my family's from not a historically all black town, but a predominantly all black town called Arcadia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in that context. My cousin was the mayor. My uncles were the, oh, wow. the fire department <laughs> in, in quotes. They, they yeah. didn't have a truck. They would just show up and help out. Um <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no stoplights in this town. It's tiny. Um, But my great uncle owned a lot of land in this little town. And so my family just lived in this town, although I grew up in the, in the city, but um, yeah, it's, it's a big part of my identity. It's a big part of how I see myself. And it's been interesting, like Lovecraft country, Watchmen Mm -hmm. talking about Tulsa and sort of black cowboys and that whole kind of black Mm -hmm. Southwestern culture becoming more prominent in the public discourse has been so interesting to me because it's a part of black culture that I think most people aren't very familiar with. They really are not. And it shocks people, I think, to like learn about black cowboys specifically. Like literally my cousin's riding rodeos. My cousin just posted a picture. (laughs) I would show you if I could. Um, Just like somehow that's not our culture culture. to most people. It is though. And yeah. at first, I lived in Chicago for a little bit and, like, saw black people on horses on the south side of Chicago. And I was like, what is happening? What is going on? I mean, I have the warm fuzzies. This makes me feel very comfortable. But I, it was shocking. We are in a major city and there's black people riding horses down the street. So it's, you know, it's more, maybe it's 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 more common than, than we think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So um, I forget, where did you go to college after your time in Oklahoma. I went to the University of Virginia. Um, That's a long way away. I only applied out of state. Um, wow. <laughs> once again, like, you know, irreverent. <laughs> what, um, but I, I, I came from this huge family. So I have, mm-hmm. I have five cousins in my grade, right, who are the same age as me. Oh first cousins. <laughs> and at my school, I had first cousins in every grade above and beneath me for every year of school so my family is massive and we're very close um and that's awesome you know showing up ninth grade you got a whole crew you're ready to roll which parent is this is it both my mom's my mom's family okay um the the arcadia country rodeo family (laughs) and my my father's side of more city um but that's nice, but it's also like comfortable and very familiar. And again, this identity existential thing I was having, I was like, I don't think I can grow here, right? I don't think mm-hmm. I'll stretch or ever be uncomfortable here. I'll just be more of what's expected, more of the same, you know, the same people from my high school went to the colleges in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think I think I did apply to University of Tulsa as a backup, and I applied to University of Tulsa because everybody else was going to OU or OSU. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, you're like, I'm not going. I'm not going. going. I just right. I want some I'm space. With y'all. This has been awesome. Yeah, so that's how I ended up at at UVA, and I actually my brother, who's 12 years older, was in grad school in DC. Got me an internship in DC at the Children's mm-hmm. Defense Fund. And oh, I met cool. this dope woman there, young lady at the time, just like me, who was going to UVA. And I thought, she's dope. I want to be dope. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to go to UVA. Dope people. Dope, dope people go to UVA. It's that simple. <laughs> that is I met cool. some pretty cool people from there. I can't disagree. Oh, that's good. Not just me. Um, but she just, she just, she just seemed so confident and had it together and seemed so clear about her choices and decision. And I think for me, I think I was 15 or 16 at the time that just felt like, yeah, I want to be that. I want to feel like that, um, black woman, mm-hmm. young, you know, young black woman who was doing this internship, um, as well at the children's defense fund. So yeah, that was, that was why UVA even was on my radar because it's a common school for people in DC. And so then it yeah. was on my radar too. So did you apply for like a psychology bachelor's degree program? Like what program did you enter into? I entered in psychology, but we didn't have to uh, apply or declare right away. But that's that's oh. I mean, that's what I wanted to focus on. And I started doing research my I think my second semester of my first year. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's really so good. Started, started right away. Again, research family. So it was yeah. one of those like, are you doing research? Are you in That's lab? really unusual, though. It's yeah. common in psychology. So uh, psychology, hmm. um, when you're entering a psychology PhD, you're really expected to have a strong uh, idea about what your independent line of research will be by the time you start wow. the PhD. When you um, start, like you walk in the door like, hey, guess what? This is what I'm right. And it might change, but it's uh, it'll shape who you choose as a mentor, who chooses you. Um, mm-hmm. You might shift around within that uh but you need to have and and the most competitive programs you 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 have to have research experience going in uh so people it's it's common in psych to start i've heard that Mm -hmm. i have heard that but like computer science your freshman year yeah first 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 year uh you know people coming into like the top psychology phd programs may have already been published by the time they, they start the program i know people who started their own journals by the time what? Yes. And not just published a journal. Started paper. their own journal. Started the journal. Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing? I mean, these top... <laughs> okay, don't have an existential crisis on the podcast, <laughs> Kyla. We're past that stage, okay? Who I'm are you? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I did kind of know that, um, that you needed research experience. I wanted to do that. And so I jumped in pretty pretty early on. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I can't even think of like for computer science, we're lucky if people have one research experience. And mm-hmm. even from that, like we're not expected to like walk in the door knowing like they just fill out the grad school application and the essay says, I like numbers. Here are people <laughs> who I like in the department. Now give me money. What's, so what, what criteria <laughs> do you use to select students? They're GRE scores? I mean, we... 
I mean, not as much anymore with GRE, but it's more so about like their essay and like what they want to work on, like having a general idea, like I'd like this area, but not mm -hmm. like what is your specific topic? Because sometimes what you find interesting, there may not be anybody in the department who even researches that. So you have to kind of be flexible. It's like a reverse process almost where you look on the website to see what everybody works on and then you kind of tailor your application to, to mm -hmm. um, a subset of people. So. Yeah, you don't get to have your own independent thoughts all the time. If you have like a um, fellowship though, that's like outside of the university, then yeah, sometimes there's a little more leeway because, um, but then you still have to get an advisor that's willing to advise you through the project that you thought of. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the challenge. Yeah, it makes that makes it seem challenging to to select students, but I get the mm -hmm. model right that it's about building a scientific skill set. And you could study, you know, rats. It doesn't matter, right? That, and some of the so more my my mentors, more senior black people, didn't have black people studying racism and race and identity, right? They had to study rats. So you you're building a skill set, wow. right? Um, so I get the model of of doing that, but it feels seems like it'd be challenging to to select students in any. Yeah, it the is. Students sometimes switch, you know, mm -hmm. who they're working with because once they get in, they're they like, start oh, to figure out. I actually like this, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So, yeah. or this thing is not what I thought it was, yeah. or the questions that they're answering in this field are not entertaining to me. <laughs> so, all of that, yeah. 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 So, so you, what? Oh, I'm just thinking, like in my mind, when when you entered into this program, you seemed like you you had an idea of where you were headed, which is not common with college students. Um, the vast majority of college students come in, they have no idea what they want to major in. They take some classes, some they stuff. hopefully <laughs> figure out like, okay, I think I could do this or that. And eventually end up in the space that will get them a degree. And hopefully that degree ends up being something they actually yeah, enjoy. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's completely unreasonable to expect 18 year olds who have so little experience with anything um mm -hmm. and maybe maybe high schools are doing a better job now getting people more you know diverse experiences but like i remember applying and thinking oh architecture sounds cool maybe i'll do that and they were like submit your portfolio of your blah 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 i'm like well that's out because i don't clearly i didn't think this through as an option right so um yeah i think i you know i still explored but yeah i pretty much i stuck with psychology early on and it is that's not common right to go from junior junior mm -hmm. in high school saying i want a phd in psychology to starting on that path um but, and that can be you know that can also be problematic right when you stick so closely to an idea that you have and um are you being are you being you know do you have are you being a stalwart or are you being stubborn and um yeah. not being open-minded about other options and you know, it turns out I think that this was the right path for me, but um, I probably should have spent more time thinking about other things I could be doing that I might also enjoy or be good at. Um, so, you know, pros and cons. I mean, I think you uh, you landed in a good place. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you out here changing the world. I know, and changing the world. Like, I wish I had thought about my life more. Girl, yeah, what? architect. <laughs> I have so many questions, but I'm gonna let it go. Um, I I I think it's really cool. So you did undergraduate research. Did you do anything 
other than that, like while you were an undergrad student, did you like clubs and organizations and stuff? have time? So, okay. So this gets into the personal realm. So I told you I was doing this popular kid stuff in high school. I was captain of the mm-hmm. cheerleading squad, dated the captain oh, of the football team. Oh, this is our second team. cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did like French club president and all that stuff. I was doing way too much. And so when I got to college, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to be low key. Like you could talk to 10 <laughs> black people at UVM. Like, I think I remember her. I think I know her. Oh, um, and then wow. Michigan was like back to yes. high school stuff. You were but undergrad everything. was like this lull <laughs> in my whole timeline where I was just like, I have four friends. I'm underground. So no, I didn't do a lot. I did um, our crisis line. We had a crisis um, hotline. I did that. Um, oh, wow. I was a tennis coach for a little while. Um, hmm. And I went to the black stuff and I went to parties and I hung out, but I was not <laughs> leading anything. Stuff. I was not. Right. Uh, I'm not organizing. I was not organizing nothing. nothing. Uh, yeah, I was, I was very low Y'all key. Y'all want stuff to do, don't come to me. I would have never That's, thought that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but then I hearing the ask. high school story. I had so much now. drama in high school because of this crew that I ran with. Um, mm. I was like, uh-uh. The popular intelligent kid crew had drama. Drama. <laughs> drama. Um, so mm. I was like, you know what? Let me oh, chill yeah. out. Yeah. It's probably for the best. You're like, let me get these research hours. Let me do what I need to do yeah. to get yeah. on out. Yeah. I realized could... that. Oh, oh I was going to say, I realized that my model was year one, do nothing. And then the next year is like, I have no, I know what I want. So I'm going to do the things now. Uh, you, f- yep. you gave yourself a year <laughs> and I to did figure that. it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like year one. I see. I've assessed the land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Assess, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Yep. But I was mm-hmm. gonna say for um, when you got to grad school first, how did you pivot to social work from psychology, and then um, how what how did Michigan get on your radar? Because still not Oklahoma. Um. So my brother was a professor at Michigan when I went to Michigan for my MSW. So he had already started his tenure track um, position there. Um, I wanted to do social work because I had been doing this laboratory based like social psychology work, which is very sterile, necessarily so, right? They're trying to isolate variables in these very specific ways. And as you can imagine, when you're talking about human beings, that just that's for me it just it's that's not it's not complicated it's like you're removing too much of the actual stuff to really mm. get a handle on this for me um i have a great respect for for many social psychologists um and the work that they do but i decided to do social work because i just wanted to complicate my understanding of what is contributing to well-being and academic performance and mental health among black people in predominantly white settings right i'm studying myself like this whole time right (laughs) um and so social work for me was i think a way to think more in more complicated ways about context um uh at least that was my understanding and then i wanted this more social justice um activism background as well and and so i thought social work would would give that to me so i i decided to apply to msw programs before applying to my phd programs that's cool yeah Yeah. so for people who are listening what were some of the things that you read because i know you had to read a lot and still do what are some of the things that you read that like really helped inform where you are right now man um, 
I think, you know, Invisible Man for me was such an influential text um, in general. And, you know, some of the themes of that have just continued to show up in my life in various ways. Um, so it, it that, yeah, that really jumps out as um, a significant text. Um, and even in high school, my brother gave me this book called Monster and it was about a guy who was a gang member who had been incarcerated and then reflecting on this on his time his whole life um after mm-hmm. after being released and wrote this book and i just thought what a phenomenal person right to um it in talking of social work right it gave it was such a complex representation of a human life and how how mm-hmm. does one person get to where they are um so I think that text was really important for me in the back of my mind, really, um, in terms of wanting to understand human lives in really complex and nuanced ways. Um, and really, when we think about black folks in particular, not reducing them to some outcome, um, be it mm. poor health, be it imprisonment, be it whatever, right, that the ways people get to those points or get to those positions are really, really complicated. And it's important for us to understand all of that. And so I think, you know, both of those texts have subconsciously shaped probably a lot of what I do. No, that's pretty cool. Cause you are a hundred percent right. Like it's really easy to distill people down to, Oh, you have this background, you have a propensity for blank without thinking about all of the other social factors that are at play mm-hmm. that, get people where they are and yeah and we do it right we 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 and we don't do it on the other side of the coin either right so mm. for instance when i talk about dei i'm like why are y'all so focused on underrepresentation you could be talking about overrepresentation. you could analyze that right you could right. you could analyze that's so how'd y'all get there are y'all that's qualified right like so right. you know we could be <laughs> we could shift the lens wow. um so all of that's important, mm-hmm. right? All that nuance. You didn't just, you just, you're not just better. You didn't just happen to get yeah. like, let's, let's unpack it. Let's, let's do the math yeah, on it's it. It's like whiteness is the norm. And then anything that's not has like this deficit yeah. mentality behind it. And then whiteness gets to quietly sit, right? As this norm, yeah. invis- in, invisible. Um, and there's so much um, in being invisible. There's so many benefits to that, right? You don't, you're not, you're, you're, abilities are not up for question They're, you know, it's just right. Oh yeah. And the comfort of that, uh, counts for a lot. Uh, I was talking to some, some first generation students here at Columbia and I was telling them that, uh, one of the biggest advantages that everyone else has is not that they're smarter, it's that they're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? They're more familiar and having spaces shaped for you and, you know, you're familiar with them and no one's questioning your ability or whether you should be there is not an uh, insignificant amount of uh, bonus points, right? That, yeah. <laughs> that helps yeah, you get through. That affects your mental state and like you can't get things done if your mental is always like got your head on a swivel, like, all right, who's going to, who's going to come at me today? Mm-hmm, who's going to, mm-hmm. you know, you have that yeah. extra burden. Yeah. yeah. We just left like mental health awareness month right and Mm -hmm. um and an episode a few episodes before this was talking with my friend um makita phillips and you know for me she was very pivotal in that she entered into a conversation with me about mental health that 
pushed me to go to therapy and I'd been before, but like, I didn't realize where I was at. Like I didn't realize where I was emotionally Mm. and how triggering and traumatic just the space I was in was every day. Like just walking into the space was causing a physical reaction to me. And like, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, no one else is going through this. Like nobody else is experiencing (laughs) that, but I'm not the only person who looks like me who is also experiencing Mm -hmm. this. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I, and it's, it's so hard to explain that to people, right? People use the words like microaggressions. It sounds like little stuff. Mm -hmm. No, it's everything. It's the air, right? It's, it's not that thing, that thing, this thing. It's the air we're breathing that's shaping how we feel. And I had a very similar experience when I was in my MSW program. I was working in a black research lab led by black people full of black students. And that's one of the luxuries Mm -hmm. of being in psychology at Michigan. And then when I actually started the PhD program, I remember walking to the same building that I had gone to every day to work in this research lab, but I was going as a student and I was going to be around white people and I could feel it in my body, the Mm. ship, same door, same building. It's the same thing for me. So I did undergrad at the same Mm -hmm. place and walked in the same building and the same door and I was Mm -hmm. fine. Everything was great. You know, like I had a wonderful undergraduate experience, but just a few years later, it was like, the cloud of darkness began before I got to the building. Yeah. Wow. Like you I could, could feel it. Yeah. it was almost like I felt mm-hmm. it as I got closer and closer and closer. It got heavier and heavier and heavier. Yeah. And I think the mm-hmm. other, the other thing, you know, related to mental health that like high functioning folks, cause we going mm-hmm. through grad school, she knows going me. through yes. competitive <laughs> programs. We we're used to carrying a lot of weight. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I feel like our breakdowns can be more sudden because we're so used to Mm -hmm. holding so much. So it feels like it goes zero to 60 as opposed to a gradual breakdown. I feel like in our Mm -hmm. peer group, I see it happen more suddenly. Like either, and I'm using breakdown very broadly. Like it'd be like, check Mm -hmm. out, stop responding to the email. I ain't got it, which I have done. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go sit in this this house, in this apartment. I'm not opening Mm -hmm. the door. And so, because yeah. we're like, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then we're like, don't mm-hmm. got it, don't got it. <laughs> and it becomes the norm. It's like you're walking yes. around with like weighted shoes on your yeah. whole life and you don't have any realization they're weighted till somebody points out like, hey, you you know, you got them 15 pound weights on both of your mm-hmm. shoes. Yep. <laughs> but, and that's you know, exactly you what happened, child. Become accustomed to the That's struggle. a great analogy. Because if you, if you're already wearing 15 pound shoes, let's say, and somebody adds a 10 pound jacket. All right. I got that. Right. But you already you're already carrying so much. Exactly. If you've never had to carry anything and somebody adds a 10 pound jacket, maybe break down. Right. Maybe that's when people talk yeah. about white fragility. Maybe that's what they're talking about. But because right, we got resilience because <laughs> we have been through stuff. We have carried weight. Before. Right. But there's still only so much a human body can hold. Right. Yeah. Mm. There's only so much. We are mm. not uh, just people who can just carry all kinds of invincible that's mm-hmm. the word we are not people who can just carry as much as you know i hate people use the term strong black woman and i like the concept but i hate the fact that people use it to be like oh yeah you're a black woman you got it you don't need no help you yeah. know i can just pile and pile ask and ask commit and commit yeah. and you'll get it done because you're a strong black woman like that's yeah. One of my yeah, one of our colleagues in in psychology in my cohort um, studied strong black woman syndrome, 
um, and, and oh, wow. pathologized it. She was like, this is problematic. We mm-hmm. cannot keep thinking wow. of ourselves this way, right? And that's in 2000, 2002, 2003. I need to go look up that dissertation. Kia Thomas. 100% degree. She's, yeah. in, she's in Florida, too. Oh, that definitely. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, doing all the things and holding everything, carrying everything, one grad degree was not enough for you. (laughs) You had this master's in social work and then you enrolled in CPEP. You started the um, PhD program in uh, education and psychology. So get us get us there. How'd you get there? It was so the PhD was always the plan and it was a little more disjointed than that. So um, and, Hmm. you know, bringing back the invisible man reference. So I applied to the PhD program while I was an MSW student. I was working in multiple research labs while I was a MSW student. I took advanced stats as an MSW student. So the PhD was the, the plan. It was still the trajectory. <laughs> You're like, I'm just here to hold this place. <laughs> take, I'm just going to train for what I want to do next. Is it common to be in multiple labs? I don't think no, no, that is not common. And not for an, it is for an no. undergraduate psychology student, not for an MSW student. Mm-hmm. Um, but I applied and um, kind of got word. I won't say how. Got word back that I wasn't going to get in, and was told that mm. one of my letter writers had written me a bad letter. What and I knew who these... it was. I had had a conversation with her because we did not get along. But I still did good Mm -hmm. work in her lab. And I said, do you think you can write me a strong, positive letter? And she looked me dead in my face and said, yes. And I knew, I said, strong, positive. Look, I'm not the first PhD in my family. I'm, you know, I get all the, all the, the words, the questions, all the, you know, look me dead in my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm happy to like talk about the work we did, but explain why I don't have a letter. And she's like, no, I can write a letter. And then it got back to me that she wrote me a bad letter. And you know, she's like super, super duper full professor, her husband's chair of the department. Mm. Like there was no way I was getting in. So I didn't get in. So I had to take a year off and do research because I had, Michigan was the only place I wanted to go. Um, so I took a year off. I kept doing research and I reapplied the next year and got in. Wow. And obviously you changed your letter writer. Yes. People don't understand the impact of run, stuff black like girl, run. that. I, I think could have, that could have deflated have me completely, a, and I could have gone and done. I'm gonna go be manager at Target or something. You know, like I could have just completely no, changed my whole life trajectory. I mean, you, manager at Target is not sounding in like it the for the discounts. You know, like <laughs> I'm working at Restoration Hardware. Give me a really nice couch. Right, don't threaten me with a good time. Right. <laughs> But no, I had a similar experience with the 10-year mm. experience. And when I am over that hurdle, I'm quite sure I'll talk about it more. But similar kind of thing. Can you write me a nice letter? Here, here's my highlight mm-hmm. reel. You mm-hmm. know me. I train your students. Like, Don't play me. You come to me with things. Don't play. And then people, people play. play. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like this, you know, the letter, right? Closed letter. Take this letter. Good letter of reference. You know, visible man. Run, black girl, run, right? But that's the thing. Why waste someone's time if you know? Like, the courtesy is to just say, no, I cannot mm-hmm. write you a letter versus, oh, I actually, I don't want you to do well, and I'm going to make sure, instead of just not giving you the letter that you need, I'm going to sabotage you to make sure girl, there's no chance. what is the chances. psychology with that? Right, what is it? that's what I'm trying to <laughs> well, understand. Well, a white woman, uh, very mm. dominant personality, um, and I have a dominant personality, too. 
Um, so say less, you know, probably made her uncomfortable. But I definitely mm-hmm. made eye contact when mm-hmm. I showed up for orientation the next year. Like, hey, girl, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Let's do lunch. You thought. What you, you thought. Um, but it turns out, you Man. know, it, it really was a blessing in, in disguise as these things often, you know, what's yours will mm-hmm. be yours when it is supposed to be yours, right? And so um, I walk into orientation that following year. I do make eye contact and, you know, make all the effort to make her see me. Yes. Hey, girl, hey. hey. And then I start to look around. I'm like, there's a lot of black people in here. I'm like, what is going on? There were 12 black students admitted to my cohort across areas of psychology. So I think maybe there were 50 students Mm -hmm. across areas. 12 of them were black. And we were all looking around like, um... Like, what happened? And we all came. (laughs) Of course, we were like, it's going to be 12 of us? Yes, we're coming. We're all coming here. Um, Yeah. So that ended up being my cohort. Um, instead of the one I would have been in in the, in the previous year. So, see, that was all yeah. you needed. Yeah, which is a pretty dope way that to go so through grad cool. school with that many, that many black people. I'm telling you, I was like, can I just be an honorary <laughs> psychologist? Because y'all over here having all the, all fun. the fun on Central yeah. Campus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. yeah, it was. It really was. And and Kyla is still like the only. I mean, I mean, she's still <laughs> checking no, only boxes. One. I'm like, wait, you the only what again? I mean, like, <laughs> still the only. Can I get a repeatedly the only all by herself? Yeah. <laughs> I tag yeah. somebody. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. So, mm-hmm. how did the two of y'all meet? Like, at what point did that happen? Are you the same year? Was it this? I think did you come in after me, Kyla? I think I was like maybe one year after yeah. you, because I think my freshman year, my first year in uh, grad school, rather, I think you were score president or maybe you were president. I the was next president year. of I community service. So when we did that, That's I helped right. organize this New Orleans thing, yes. um, Hurricane Katrina yes, thing. Yes, yes, um, yes. So maybe that was one of the first times we met was through that. I think that was the first time, but that was my first year when you were organizing that effort. So SCORE Um, is Students of Color of Rackham, and it's like a student group for all of the graduate programs. So, So you know, you can be the only, but come be a part of this larger group where the other two people in neuroscience and the other people over here are all coming together to the same space. So, yeah. And we had a similar, like, so Rackham was, like, the overarching one. And then, like, the engineers, we kind of had had our own, own like, basically, like, a grad Nesby thing. But then we would, like, collaborate Mm -hmm. at times for Mm -hmm. stuff. So it was good. I was, like, I did not know how to protest until I I met all these social scientists (laughs) on Central (laughs) Campus through SCORE. And I'm, like, oh, we mad today? What are we mad about? Racist sneakers? I'm on it. What are we mad about? Like, (laughs) Oh, so y'all did this to her? Yes. Okay. Radicalized uh, Kyla. And we had this listserv that, like, people had to get, like, I had to start getting the digest (laughs) because it was so active. The email list was so active. But I am literally the person who tells Kyla no. Don't do it. Like, she is. There's a whole community of people who are pushing her to do the things. And I just tell her, Kyla, you are not allowed to do the things. There are tweets that have not been good, but they are. They are in my I sent Jeremy one today. I did. I sent Jeremy one this morning. I was like, "This, I, this is what I could write. I might." Too, girl. I'm glad you have somebody. I used to have like one of my best friends. Too. You know Tiffany Griffin. Um, mm-hmm. We. She was also in psychology. Also in my cohort, and we would sit in meetings, and she would be like, "Fix your face." Like, <laughs> 
like just oh, indignant and you know oh, mad. That is funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first protest I've made in high school. My face. Right? Uh, no, middle school. Oh, middle wow. school was my first protest. <laughs> cheerleader. I was on the cheerleader. They they wouldn't pay for a bus for the cheerleaders to go to the away game. I'm like, you paying for the basketball players to go? So the cheerleaders mm. walk, organized them. We walked out of class and went oh, and sat in the okay. cafeteria or something until they got us a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love oh, it. Man. Okay, it's so it's in you. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. a part it's of through. your being. Yeah. Yes, through and mm-hmm. through. But, um, See, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I'm not child. Do not, do so not break the rules. I, I I just it's not in me it's not part mm-hmm. of who I am but we need both of us right like you need people who are activists who are going to push things forward and then you need the people who are like let's follow the rules and then show y'all how we can get around these rules right, you the gotta right understand way the rules based right. on what you've laid out exactly yeah. or even like so. for me it was more so put in language to what I was experiencing in my program because I'm like, oh, y'all are studying me. Yeah, we're studying you, right? <laughs> like, right. They are. I'm like, I, I get the the all the uh, context and like, okay, these are the words that I need to use. Oh, imposter syndrome. Yes, that is mm-hmm. what I'm going through. Like all of these different things. And like, I don't know. It's It was liberating. I was like, oh, the whole world is crazy. It's you, and you are not. <laughs> right? It's not you. It's everybody else. Yes, it's, it's not, not you. Me. No, yes, no, never me. When she <laughs> said high functioning earlier, I was like, whoa okay she knows her stuff like why are you talking about me it's fine it's fine because i brought it up but like yes yes we're out here but you do you need you need the rude rule followers you need people know the law know the law lay of the land because you can't break Mm -hmm. them break them strategically and my mom is an attorney yeah so that's where that comes and rule followers get stuff Mm -hmm. done right so people who don't follow rules like me break things um (laughs) and rule followers build them and fix them Right. And so mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. both. It's mm-hmm. a combination. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's why we're a good team, Kyla. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> Kyla's like, damn, damn, damn. Like I'm, I'm mad. mad. Hope smash. It's like, well, this is the policy for how to get this done. <laughs> oh damn. Right. There's a pathway. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a form. I love it. I love it so much. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So your dissertation work was that like just a walk in the park because you knew what you were gonna do. No, when you were, like, come on, yeah, you know, seventeen no. struggle <laughs> mode, struggling. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, any and y'all know, like anybody who's done it just knows how isolating and difficult. And as soon as you think you know what you're talking about, the rocks slip from under you, and you know yep. you own what your butt that? again. Okay. And mm-hmm. um. No, it was it was really challenging, and I just never felt like I was going to finish. I never felt like I was going to know enough mm. to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, I had a fantastic black woman mentor who was chairing my dissertation, who, uh, who Tabby Chavis, who oh, told me, "I will tell you when you're finished." Right, and it's my job to oh. know, but it's her job to know what finished looks like. Yeah. And she was sort of reminding mm-hmm. me, like, you, you don't have the perspective to even know what done is. Um, and yeah. so, you know, basically asking me to trust her that she will know when I'm done and to stop asking her for a dissertation um, defense date because <laughs> she will tell me when I'm done. Um, but yeah. yeah, so that was a struggle. And again, it's, it, 
this is interesting. So when I was, when I was doing my dissertation, I studied racial identity and critical race consciousness. And so I was interested in how adolescents have an understanding of themselves and the world and whether that was a good thing, right. For their mm-hmm. well being mm-hmm. and academic performance, et cetera. Um, and what I didn't, I was using secondary data. So data that had already been collected, it was a, an 11th grade sample. And I was like deep into the dissertation before I realized that it was my age that the 11th, I was in, I was an 11th grader when that data was collected. Wow. So I'm studying my age group in my dissertation. Um, not me. They're from Maryland. No, completely different sample. Yeah. But, but still, I was in 11th grade, too, right, when the that data were wild. being collected, which is so fascinating. Um, so talk about studying yourself, right? I was, I, the I world was is studying strange. myself. Um, so what did, you, what did you people. find? I found that in sort of building on existing work that says um, that was done, came out of Michigan, um, this multidimensional sense of racial identity. So when people thought about black folks, they used to just think white people studying black people thought we just absorbed what they thought about us. Right. So they kept thinking, you mm-hmm. must have low self-esteem. And people spent decades trying to find low self-esteem in black people. I'm like, it's not there, not in the way you're looking for it. Like they mm-hmm. couldn't find it. Um and they dumbfounded, you know, the anomalies. Da, 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 da. Like, it's not an anomaly <laughs> if you keep finding it over and over and over. Right. It just ain't That's right. just wrong, right? <laughs> we don't see ourselves the way we see yeah. you. you see us. Um, and right. so right. Robert Sellers, who's also at Michigan, and some other folks did this multidimensional model of racial identity where they found, I can know how you feel about me and feel differently about myself. And I can measure both of those things at the same time. Um, Mm. and so what we found in my dissertation and in their work generally, that people who have a positive sense of, self, I feel good about being black and an awareness that you don't like black people is a good combination, right? That Mm. that combination in terms of identity is a good thing. Um, yeah, because that just makes me want to just destroy everything <laughs> in a good way, right? Like, like I see you, I know what's going I'm on. I'm about to kill it. Um, yeah, yeah, I've seen it mm-hmm. acted out. Like, like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Right? Oh, you don't think I'm supposed to be here? Great. Great. I'll set <laughs> okay. up a camp here. Say less. Y'all ready? Right. Um, right. So I was adding to that to think about uh, consciousness. So not only what do you think about me, what do you feel about Black people, but what do I understand about the world and how it works and functions as it relates to race in racial inequities. And is that a good thing, right? As an 11th grader, or is that something you should get later? Um, and what I find is that when it's in combination with this strong sense, positive connection to the self an awareness that other people don't necessarily see black people that way, um, that this higher degree of consciousness can actually be, um, a good thing. Uh, but it was a range, hmm. you know, there were people, there was people in the sample who had a lower critical consciousness, but had these other pieces who were still okay. Um, and so I think, hmm. you know, it's something that probably can develop over time as well. And I never got around to doing that study where I wanted to see, this is a cross section, right? They're, they're doing fine in 11th grade. What are the people who had early consciousness mm-hmm. look like at 30? Um, and we actually have oh, those yeah. data in this, in the sample, right? They, oh. It's a longitudinal sample. Wow. I just, I just, um, moved on to other things, but you got time for that. yeah, but it's interesting yeah. to think like, it, is it, that. is it good in the long term? Does it pay off or mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I could go either yeah. way. I could see it going either way. That's really I could definitely cool. see yeah. it going either way. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, I, I was thinking about it recently. I, I have a two year old, right? And so. It's it's so interesting to watch a human yes. grow, 
and like how they learn and what they perceive and don't perceive and what you Mm -hmm. think they perceive because it's like totally different like i feel like she's not paying attention to stuff but then i realize like how she behaves is very much like based on where Mm -hmm. she's situated like Mm -hmm. where she's at so um my grandmother passed away earlier this year and she went to the funeral and she knew everybody was sad this is before she turned two so everybody was sad Mm -hmm. she didn't like it and she spent most of the time trying to make Mm -hmm. us happy and she came back and she was like everyone was sad like mommy was sad papa was sad and so i didn't know that she could it was like she felt it in her being and she wanted to fix it she's giving everybody hugs and kisses and all that stuff so like even at that age their environment tells them what's going on and they know like she knows Mm -hmm. when i'm sad like she can tell when i'm unhappy or she'll ask me if i'm angry she's like are you mad (laughs) mommy (laughs) mommy's not mad they absorb they know so much and we can we can underestimate these little people if we want to um I'm, I'm done with that yeah, one. She I have been humbled far ahead uh, many yeah. many times over, yeah. uh, and we have you know yeah, culturally it's like you know, they've been here before. You've been here before, right? It's a, a saying we have in my family. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Some I don't know. I don't. I'm a psychologist. I'm not a spiritualist. <laughs> they've been here before. This one most definitely <laughs> may have been here before, a little man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they or, they absorb so much, so much about what you say and what you do and how you act and how you express yourselves, um, and I think. But that's it too. That's it so too, right? If so if you already see people it then, who are like, and the same thing, like I remember him yeah. using some phrase I used, like I used once. It's not even something I say regularly. He used it. I'm like, right. I used that one mm-hmm. time, and you're repeating it. <laughs> um, which, by the time you get to be like 16, 17, how you perceive not just your health, the yeah, world, the world, right? Yeah. Which is why some people push so heavily against parents, you know, wanting to be colorblind. Like, yeah, that's cute. Um, meanwhile, they are making meaning out of patterns right. that they're observing in the world. And if you exactly. don't explain what those patterns mean and why they're, why we got to that outcome, like I talked about earlier, uh, they're going to come mm-hmm. to particular conclusions, right? So my nephew, uh, lives in a white suburb of uh, Maryland, came home, I think it was like five and said, why are the only black people in my school janitors and cafeteria workers? So he said that out loud. And so now we get to process that Mm -hmm. with him, right? And explain that. Um, Mm -hmm, We're mm -hmm. not exceptional Negroes, right? There's people of all stripes living different kinds of lives, et cetera. But if you don't, if we don't unpack that, then white people are this and black people are this. Mm -hmm. And that's just how things shook shook out. Yeah. Right. The thing that made that the most evident to me was, I forget what it's called, but it's like the experiment they did with the dolls that had like different mm-hmm. skin tones and they asked the kid is probably like four years old or five, you know, point to the bad doll or, you know, and something with negative connotation and they point to the mm-hmm. darker one and all the ones with the positive attributes are the lighter ones. And I'm like, no one sat down and said, black is bad, white is good, you know, to these kids, but they just mm-hmm. pick up somehow on society how people are treated and mm-hmm. it's just amazing like the way you're all saying like how you don't even have to say anything a bunch of times they just pick it up and in that study you know what's so important is that they they are essentially giving you the what they think the right answer is and so that work has been complicated 
later in the sense that mm. remember I just said what I what I think you think about me is not necessarily what I think about myself. In that study, they never ask them what they think about themselves. They just ask them what bad is. Mm. So they're giving, they're not getting to. So those kids could could use could their use own their own language, language to yeah. describe themselves differently. But what they it got kind of extrapolated to say, because they could say, "I know you think this is bad, and I know that I look mm -hmm. like that." So for us on this multi-dimensional racial identity scale, that would be public regard. I know how the public sees me. I know what the public thinks bad is. In that study, they never stopped to say, how do you feel about yourself? Are you good? Are you bad? Mm -hmm. um, and it's the piece mm -hmm. that's missing. And it's this other piece of identity that I'm talking about, right? I could feel differently. Um, and we won't, we don't really know that for those kids. But the point stands that the messaging yeah. is there. They know what the values are attached mm -hmm. to, to, you know, race, et cetera, gender, et cetera. Um, they don't have to have to do a deep analysis around it to be aware of it, right? And have some sort of some sense of the answers. I feel like we're getting closer to where you are today yes. and the work that you're doing now. So I would love to talk about that because I, I remember, first of all, just we were at the NCWIT Summit that year and... I felt really fancy because they had just interviewed us and Kyla and oh, I were yeah. matching. We were, we were matching that day? Yeah, we were matching because we, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, we just were. Um, and so we like came and we like, sat right in front of the microphone, like maybe like four rows back. Yes. And Kyla's like, oh my gosh, it's Courtney. I didn't even know she was going to be here. And I'm like, who? Huh? <laughs> what is she talking about? And then like literally you were just about to start talking. Like yes. she's telling me this. And then you start talking and you see her in the crowd <laughs> and you go, oh my gosh, it's Kyla. Hi, Kyla. <laughs> That like and made like, my whole life before like, before you started your talk, and it was just so funny because like someone had just introduced you and done like this really formal like Doctor Cogburn blah 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 blah, and you're just like oh my hey, god, girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I went to run the stage like yeah, girl, you told me yes. <laughs> You know what? I think we stand on the uh, shoulders of so many people who made authenticity possible for me. Um, and I am yes. not going to waste it. Um, yes. I loved it. I loved it. And then I, the talk afterwards, I was like, girl, you know this girl and you haven't asked her to come on this podcast. Like, what are you talking That's about? Thing. I didn't know that your research had turned to the VR direction. Yeah. So like hearing it for the first time, I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, that, <laughs> this. <laughs> So yeah. let's talk about it. Yes. Let's talk so about let's it. talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, so through my post, post, post docs to post docs, um, <laughs> really mm. started to, to shift from racism is not only racial discrimination. Racism is not just somebody said something to me and did something to me directly. It's this stuff. It's the air. Right. And so more mm. and more, I wanted to move toward conception characterizing that and what is that and then how could we possibly measure it um because if we can measure it i bet we're gonna find it has an effect on health right so we're talking about like the feeling you had in your body walking up to that door is racism right that's also racism i would call it cultural racism which falls under this umbrella of structural racism it it's ambient, structural mm -hmm, racism right? it's, it's, for sure. It's, yeah, in, the it's air, in the air. And um, that affects your body. And staying in that building affects mm -hmm. your body. And 
the thing it that was. person said at lunch that you still will have your heart rate increase when you recall that story mm-hmm. is still in your body, right? And that has implications for health. And so my work wanted to move toward what is that? How do we measure that? What have other people said about this, right? How do we measure it? And then the VR was really, and, and so I have it like empirical work in that space. And then the VR was really kind of coming to this point where we already know and understand so much of this. We don't have to study every inch and nook and cranny of racism to understand that it's bad and that we should be doing something about it. We have enough to go on, right? Mm-hmm. And so yes, why are people still so resistant to that reality? Why um, white people in particular don't get it or actively resist it? Um, actively, <laughs> actively resist it. Yes, that, I think. That. So when I give talks, I don't, yes. I don't think I had this in my talk at uh, NC WIP, but I have this slide where I say, white people don't understand racism. And then there's an asterisk that says, ignore, opt out of, blah, 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 like mm-hmm. all these other aspects of understand. Um, so for right. me, the VR, willful willful, ign- willfully ignore, I think is what I have. And so for me, the VR was a, an attempt to basically gut punch white people, um, like wake up and you don't get to opt out of this. Um, and it's so interesting when I think about the when people talk about the VR, they often talk about it, like what it's like to be a black man. And that's not, that's not the experience mm. at all. It's that ain't it. <laughs> what it means to see racism from a black man's perspective. If I want to show yeah. you something about being a black man, which I wouldn't be particularly qualified to do. That's not what I would show you, right? I might put you in a barbershop right. or with your friends or, you know, right. being a dad or yeah. any number of other things. Not that. I'm showing you white racism from the perspective of a black body, from a black perspective, which yeah. is really different. And essentially, I'm showing you yourself, right? So whiteness is in the piece. Mm-hmm. Racism is what I'm having you focus on, not the black body. I'm having you focus on the racism. Um, so really thinking about how to pull pull white people into consciousness um, and not letting them opt out in the ways that they they have historically. And could VR help us do that in some way? Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things that you saw? Because I know like, you know, virtual reality is used in lots of different contexts for like embodiments or getting you to get some other perspective. Like there's this one study where um, they have you, they have these architecture students design a space and then navigate the space from the point of view of a person Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair. And so then they had to see like, okay, can I get around? And then they had to later on design a space and they noticed that like the spaces were bigger, the lanes were bigger. So there was like actual Mm -hmm. change. So did you see any results in your work that made it seem like, okay, these people might get it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I haven't been able to really tap into the behavioral shift yet, and I can unpack that in just a minute. But uh, what I'm interested in is not that they get it, but that they are more open to getting it. And so when I think Mm -hmm. about white liberals as my target in particular, they are the most they think they already got it. So anytime you have a conversation about it or training or whatever, they think you're not talking about them. Right. They're the good white people. Yeah. And so my effort was to remind them that they don't got it. And so can we have a different conversation? So then I'm trying to measure what do you understand and what do you not understand? And are you more willing? So yes, Mm -hmm. what we do see shifts in are 
reductions in colorblindness. So uh, more willing to name race and racism as factors related to inequalities that we observe. Um, more willing to name structures and systems as factors in inequality as opposed to individuals making choices. And that's the thing that's getting them to these outcomes as opposed to systems, policies, yeah. institutions, etc. So we see shifts, significant shifts, even in a white liberal sample after the 10 to 12 minute VR experience, um, which I think is really, really meaningful. Um, but it's not a magic pill. So you have to think about, well, what goes along with this a curriculum or self-reflection or journey, whatever, right? And so we're we're actively thinking about that as well. That's amazing. I love, yeah, I love that. And I, I also really love that you're working with a, a guy oh, named that's Jeremy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I had to search my email for your name, the, I was like, wait, which Jeremy? Yes. You're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I I I laughed when like that came up and he's in computer science. Is that what he's in? Or is he in electrical No, he's a psychologist. See, he's a psych, he's, oh, also, he's also a psychologist, a psychologist, but he's been working in VR for over 20 years. He thinks about, which I think is important, right? He's not a VR dude. That's like how many degrees and he's a computer scientist, right? So he's not thinking about the technical pieces of the VR. He's thinking about yeah. how can we help? How can we teach Experience. people about climate? How can we teach people about homelessness? Um, so he was a good part, even though he hadn't focused on race or racism, he was a good partner mm-hmm. uh, for those reasons. And he's a psychologist, um, but he's in a communications, cool. um, yeah. communications department. And see, like, this is what I love. Like y'all are living in a very computer science heavy yes. space. Yes. With um, publications and like IEEE VR, yeah, ACM, yeah, yeah. like y'all are owning yeah. it in this so space. So you're in computing. Yep. But you, your degrees yeah. are not, and you can do both. There's, uh, you know, to me, you, I talk a lot about trans transdisciplinarity um, and the importance of multiple perspectives being at the table. And it's different than interdisciplinarity, right? Interdisciplinary might say, okay, Kyla is the computer person. I'm this person. When we get to the computer part, you come in and do your do your thing, right? Transdisciplinarity says, no, we sit at the table at the same time. There's no hierarchy in our disciplines. Computer science is not more important than psychology. Psychology is not more important than Mm -hmm. computer science. And we're addressing this very human issue. And we need everybody thinking about that problem together to come up with a meaningful solution. Um, And so with that lens, it makes sense, right, that you'd have social people, social science people thinking about computing because computers intersect with life in human beings. Right. And oh, yeah. Computers aren't talking not, to computers. They're, they're actual, actual beings human beings. They need to use the and that's messy and hard <laughs> and difficult. Yes. And, um, yeah. You know, and I talk a lot about this, and I think my work in VR shifted me into this, you know, tech for good, uh, you know, mm-hmm. tech justice space because your best intentions still won't keep you from creating harm if you don't understand humans in policy and yes. systems, right? It, that needs to be on a, a quote, like one of those little social media quotes. You, you, you know, click your heels <laughs> like all day, it. but like that's not your skill set. So that'd be like <laughs> sitting me down in front of a computer, like make this thing work now. I'm like, what, does it not have an existing button for me to press? Then good right. luck, right? I don't know how to do that. Why would I know how to do that? Why would a computer scientist know what good means in relation to society? Right. So yeah. you need people who 
think about what good is and how we achieve good and what justice looks like and what reparations should look like working with the computer scientists right um I like I I quote this all the time. I was at a dinner party here in Columbia, and there's this this woman um, who said to me, "There are people who solve the problems of their discipline, and people who solve the problems of the world. And people who are trying to solve problems of the world couldn't rely on their single discipline to fix that. Right? You have to rely on other disciplines to do a good That's job. That's a word. Right there. Um, Message. That is a whole word. I'm already thinking about some another VR collaboration I have where I'm like, I'm going to tap you after this. <laughs> okay. <to ask> you <laughs> yeah. But it's so true. Like I'm collaborating with a medical doctor for a, you know, for a collaboration. I'm like, it's so true because I'm very much big picture who is going to use this versus how are you contributing to this one mm-hmm. little area of computer mm-hmm. science? Like, yeah, you have to answer those questions, but also whose life is impacted right, right. by this. And that's not to say, don't focus on problems of your discipline, right? The basic research mm-hmm. matters. Figuring out that one mechanism matters. Should everyone be doing that? No. If that's the thing you've right. been trained to do, do you know how to translate it to society? No, not your ministry, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> not your ministry. Not you, need you, need to, you need to consult. You need s- to work with other people who yes. understand like, here's how humans work, right? Um, and that's mm-hmm. the other thing with computer scientists. I'm going to talk about us. Tend to have an elitist <laughs> attitude when it comes to any other discipline. And it's like, oh, well, I'm the computer person, so what I'm doing is harder. Like, there's so many times where people think of, like, anything has to do with any sort of social mm-hmm. leaning. Oh, that's, that's the easy sciences. work. That you're mm-hmm. not, yes, yeah, the soft sciences, or you're not taken. At, even people who work in H, human uh, computer interaction, just because there's a tinge of psychology, because you have to understand humans, oh, you're not, it's yeah. not as rigorous as yeah. pure computer science. Like, that's the, that's what they think. And it's like, okay, I'm glad that you could get past all of that BS of computer science and still be able to um, to work and make progress in this area because there's this elitism, this my area is more important than yours or harder than yours or better than yours or, you know, and there's no need for that. Like, I like how you said everybody is at the table and we are all equally mm-hmm. important and not one person is better than the other. Well, and I would actually, you know, even go a step further to say it's cultural racism and white supremacy right mm-hmm. that set these norms of knowledge and understanding yeah and what mm. we value and what smart is and what good is right and so we could we could keep <sighs> yeah we could keep that's, peeling the onion uh and, and look, get there look. um <laughs> i i'm almost without words with with that one because i think about like just culturally as black people you know a lot of who we are is in our stories Mm -hmm. and our ability to communicate. And that's not valued in research, especially in the STEM disciplines. And so like we're fighting that right now on this podcast, right? Like telling people stories, kind of breaking the narrative of what it means to be a black woman Mm -hmm. in computing. Um, But to have like someone value that work it's really, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, I think, you know, again, this is a longer conversation, but I do think naming it as racism, uh, it, it's important to make pieces visible in order to dismantle them. Mm-hmm. But if we just treat it as a norm, it just happens to be a norm. Yeah. Where do we get norms from? Like, how do we, how do we come to be? How did the, the discipline and field of computing get established in the, the first place? And it trickles all the way down to why can't we recruit? Blah, blah, blah. Because they don't want to do stuff that's oh, not socially girl. meaningful. Mm. 
where they exactly. feel invisible. The research shows that where you feel invisible, people treat you as invisible mm-hmm. and there's no clear connection to how this helps right. society because you got these old folks in these classes that I'm like, I right. Even but you, you, I know you could go yeah. into it, right? Because <laughs> if we're going to do it, we're more likely want to do it because we think it's going to impact my grandma, right? It's going to impact community exactly. and you can't tell me computing does not do that. Right. And so you can't tell right. me data science doesn't do that. You can't tell me climate science doesn't do that. It does just because you can't do both. That means we can't. Right. But you can't recruit exactly. and retain people when they feel like I'm going to be in this sterile space removed from the realities of the world. It's the way I felt in social psychology. Like, this is not reality. Mm. This is not what I'm trying to exactly. assess. Um, what is the practicality of what I'm doing and how does it actually And it doesn't weaken it. Or... It makes things more complicated. It yeah. is messier. It yeah. is harder to measure human behavior than, say, a computing mm-hmm. process. Um, yes. And I'm like, y'all don't have to submit IRBs. Y'all don't have to. I'm like, I'm technically sound and also have some training in this other area. They make it seem like, oh, you kind of halfway know computer science and halfway know something else. Like you don't, that's not how you, you get where you Mm -hmm. are. Exactly. Like I even had someone tell me, um, I won't name the name, but, um, you know, I'm the first black woman to, you know, get a computer science PhD at Michigan. And he was like, well, you actually don't count because your work's in interactive systems. And I'm like, what? And basically saying, because what I studied had to do with people, forget that I coded all this stuff for the process, forget all that. I'm not a real computer scientist because I'm not studying what they think is important. And that, again, racism, that he, that he gets to determine it. Yes. Right? That he put, that this he possesses person of color. The, this is oh, a black oof. person that told me this. Just, I have a paper called Appropriated Racial Oppression. <laughs> That might be useful. <laughs> and I'm telling you, and I hope he listened to it and we don't have a conversation, hmm. but no, it's a hundred percent, like a hundred percent. He's leaning into that and appropriating what's mm-hmm. around him. This is what good is. This is what successful means. Um, and that, that you, even as a man, right. That's, that's, that's always intersecting that you possess mm, yeah. some authority. Like you, you believe right, you hold right. some authority to tell me. Mm-hmm. Right. How are you going to tell me who I am? <laughs> this is a whole other podcast. Yes. I'm so, telling you. Yes. Um, yes. Courtney, so now are you doing that work? Are you still pursuing that work that's kind of at that intersection of psychology and technology? Yeah, I think, you know, just kind of the way my brain works, all this stuff is, is meshed uh, together uh, with a healthy dose of humility, right? So I seek out support and expertise, uh, I know my lanes um, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people who are open-minded and want to work together. So yes, to me, addressing problems of the world requires these types of intersections. Um, And so I help. Do you have like students from like different disciplines in your lab? Like what does that look like? um, Speaking of, so I've worked with computer science professor here and we have some social work students who work computer science students and we are working on a data visualization project this might be one of the IEEE papers um, where the mm-hmm. social work students don't know how to program. That's not, they're not creating experience, but they know what data matter. They know what questions matter. They know mm-hmm. if we're trying to represent an association between COVID and transportation, here's what we might want to do. And so then they're working and collaborating with the computer science students 
uh, who then go and create and try to represent that and then come back to us and say, what about this? We're like, no, that's not really useful. <laughs> you don't change it. So, because we'd be thinking we know, but it's so. this, it's this intersection, right? And I think there's this, this, there's, you have to have some comfort with things being slower and not quite speaking, speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. So it takes, I think, particular types of people to make this work. So doing that, um, we started a new minor here in the school of social work, um, emerging tech and media and society minor. So, um, giving social workers mm-hmm. a strong foundation in web three, Bitcoin, blockchain, VR. Really I taught cool. a class in VR, so we met as avatars oh, wow. for the semester. Um, <laughs> what? And had the social workers, and we spent. Listen, we spent the first like half of the course focused on data privacy and use ethics, all these kinds mm-hmm. of issues, mm-hmm. right? And then with that as your bedrock, what would you make and create? Um, and they all had to create and just propose. They didn't actually develop anything, but just going through the ideation and giving them a sense of. I don't have to be a computer scientist. I don't have to be an engineer to feel like I have some sense of why this technology is useful. And in fact, you will mm-hmm. imagine things that they would never think of and imagine. Yeah, yeah. And for me in general, just trying to create more pathways for people who are not technologists in, in their training or technical in their training, but applying so cool. what they know about people, what they know about therapy, or what they know about HIV treatments, right? Whatever it is. Um, bringing them to this Mm -hmm. space to see what they, what they'll make and create. And I've constantly surprised and amazed at what they, they come up with. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I want to take the class now, put on my little VR goggles (laughs) and come, y'all got a syllabus? I want to see, I have a computers in modern society class and I'm always like adding to it or I'll see something or read something. I'm like, Ooh, that's a good unit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We have to take a look. Yeah, at the I'm happy to happy to share it. I think it's um, it's been interesting to see what they, what they create, and giving them agency and empowering them that mm-hmm. I don't need an engineering degree to have thoughts about this. Was there anything else that you're working on that you want people to be aware of, on the lookout for? You know, what, one thing this shift in this work. So still working at this intersection. Um, But there's also, you know, a a fatigue that's setting in over the past couple of decades of doing racism work. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, not just living it, (laughs) raising a child in it, making your actual job. Um, And there's definitely this sort of sense of I'm tired of explaining racism to white people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to edit that. That's just real. And um, nope. So what else do I want to do? And so I did, I gave it, I gave a talk at, um, UPenn, uh, coming a couple of months ago now, time means nothing to me now. Um, but it's about black futures and the metaverse. And so, you know, really mm. starting to think about ideas of healing and creation. Um, and I talk about really what I'm working on now is developing this concept of being untethered, right? What does blackness mean? when it's not tethered to whiteness, when it's not reflecting back to whiteness. And in that paper, I mentioned appropriated racial oppression. We talk about like even things like black girl magic and super black Mm -hmm. woman, like all of that is tied to whiteness. You're trying to convince white people that you're good, black excellence. Who are you, who are you trying to convince? Right. Who are you? Right. Cause what is normal normal excellence? excellence Black men in suits. Is it about the fashion or are you trying to message something else? Right. (laughs) Right. 
And so this idea of being untethered is, is it possible to reflect on blackness and be black and live these full black human lives independent of considerations of whiteness? And there's this text, speaking of books that have shaped me, there's this text called um, Black Aliveness and the Poetics of Being that have, I mean, just rocked my world. Like it's, it's this idea, like how do we live and be alive independent of white trauma? Right. And so white, white produced trauma. Um, And I'm thinking about that at the intersections of the metaverse, which for all intents and purposes does not exist and is a blank slate. Right. Y'all can keep trying to make it exist if y'all want to like calm down. It's not real. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will kick you in the real real part. But if there's this blank slate, is is there a digital space where, you know, we're not running from reality, but just building and imagining something else where we don't have to fight whiteness all the time. I mean, Mm. I just think about when you said that, it made me think about black Twitter Mm -hmm. and like how we have our our own. Notwithstanding, yeah. like there's an existing Twitter, but Black t- Twitter yeah. is its own thing. It is its own. We thing. don't care about what's going yeah. on with the rest of y'all. Nope. And I don't know how we connect to how it works, but it just it it's there it and it works, yeah. and we people know study it's there. That too. Andre Brock studies how Black people take technologies mm-hmm. and flip them on its head, flip it on its head all the time, and make it our own. And we use it. And we need to make different. our own. Make we our need own. to make our um, own. And not yeah. to yeah. be excellent. Right, but to be alive, just cause, right, which is yeah, very right. different and just fuller and more complex yeah. than excellence or magic. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I'm moving my work in that direction, and I have a doctoral student thinking about some really interesting thinking about how Black women use social media, like de nice versus events for social healing and community, and how mm-hmm. might we translate some of that into various technological tools using a radical healing clinical framework to think about radical healing, um, yes. how we support healing and growth among black folks using technologies. And so definitely moving in that, that direction um, more and more rather than this is racism and it's bad. I'm like, no, no, like short answer. <laughs> racism is real and it's terrible for everything. Um, so what, how, what are you going to do to right. fix it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Apparently nothing. <laughs> and I've been doing more climate work too, like climate justice, environmental justice work, because again, this solving the problems of the world, right? That we are clearly mm-hmm. always at the end of the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to any social mm-hmm. issue that we're talking about. So wherever I feel mm-hmm. like Anything. I can lend any perspective or expertise, um, especially with open-minded people, again, who want to work in this sort of transdisciplinary way, I am actively seeking ways to do that. I love it. Me too. I want to come from you. <laughs> I want to work with her. I'm going to come up with something. That too. I'm over here like, well, we got this one project and I see how, but like us all, I know you are uber, uber busy, so I would not tax your time. I'm still running yes. past you, but I will let you tell me if you don't have I think it. if you want to think about something, for real, like whatever you want to talk about, but then also, you yes. know, anything related to uplifting black women, um, supporting black women, uh, black girls in particular. I'm, oh yeah, that's that's this yeah, whole podcast. Yeah, so if you want to percolate and something us. comes up that we might do something together related to that. Especially, I just, I'm putting my tenure packet in, so I'm like, I'm definitely doing what yes. I want after this. I already did, like, but. Everything. Um, yeah. Congratulations. I yeah, same yeah, I, Things should be official at okay. some point. Yeah, I'm just, I'm still my, doing the internal Review, but fingers oh, yeah. crossed that everything goes smoothly. You don't have no drama. 
If they don't, they're, they're crazy. Like, they're cray-cray yeah. if they don't. Yep. So, Courtney, how do people find you on the internet? Um, I tweet uh, at Courtney Cogburn. I usually just retweet or talk about something funny my kids said, uh, but sometimes I say smart things. <laughs> um, but I usually do, like, share what I'm doing or something I've written or some talk I've given. I usually share it there. So that's probably the the easiest place and my other social media are not public so yeah mm -hmm. we'll link mm -hmm. to your twitter um and likely you'll um you know different clips from this episode oh, fun. And yeah. yeah will be tagged and stuff so. thank you for inviting me yeah thank you follow you. us you can find her i'm glad oh, that you were able course. to do this ever since you did your keynote i was like we got to talk about this so i'm happy that we're able to circle back and get you on and i was like don't forget about your friend yes jerry was like oh can you record it yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I am at Jeremy Waysom. Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing. Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace.